When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. My Seven Chakras, episode 203. When the future is full of dread and the past is full of regret, where can you take refuge except in the present? When maelstroms of tormenting thoughts push back the barricades of your sanity, the present is the calm center where you can rest. And slowly, as you rest there, niggling thoughts and fears dissolve like shadows shrinking under the midday sun, until you don't need a refuge anymore. The present is the only place where there is no thought-created pain. The present is the only place. The seven chakras, swirling vortices of energy, positioned throughout our body, from the base of the spine to the crown of the head. For thousands of years, this ancient wisdom has been passed on from master to disciple. What are the functions of these energy centers? And could these chakras help you unlock your destiny and find your true purpose? Welcome to My 7 Chakras. And now, your host, Aditya Jai Kumar. What's up, Action Tribe? AJ here, founder and host of My 7 Chakras, the show where we dive deep into the ancient world to uncover nuggets of wisdom that will help you find your life's purpose. So if you've recently stumbled upon the spiritual life and you want answers to the burning questions you have, then welcome to the Action Tribe community. And right before getting into this interview, let's listen to a recent iTunes review. The review is by CoolCat2772 who writes, AJ, thank you for all your hard work and dedicating yourself so fully to this work. Both my wife and I love this podcast. Thank you for creating this. Just as they say, the teacher comes along when the student is ready. This came along at the perfect time for both of us and is opening our minds to so many new people, techniques and concepts. Action Tribe isn't amazing when you see a conscious couple getting inspired, learning, studying and changing the world together. Cool Cat, you are truly amazing. Please send me a message or email and reveal your true name to me. I'd love to connect with you. Action Tribe, since we've completed 200 episodes, I'd really Love to connect with our diehard Action Tribe community. So whether it's on Instagram at my7chakras or email aj at my7chakras.com or by leaving us a review on iTunes, I'd love to hear from you about your experiences so far, why you listen, what are some of the challenges you're facing and why you do what you do. Because you, my friend, the one listening to this show right now, right this moment, you are the reason why I do what I do. And having said that, let's bring on our special guest for today, Steve Taylor. So Steve, are you ready to inspire? Definitely. Yeah, I'm ready. That's superb. So Steve Taylor is a senior lecturer in psychology at Leeds Beckett University and the author of several best-selling books on psychology and spirituality. For the last four years, he has been included this year at number 62 in Mind, Body, Spirit magazine's list of the 100 most spiritually influential living people. His books include Waking from Sleep, The Fall, Out of the Darkness, Back to Sanity, and his latest book, The Calm Center, as well as the book that we'll be speaking about, Leap. His books have been published in 19 languages, while his articles and essays have been published in over 40 academic journals, magazines, and newspapers, including Philosophy Now, Tikkun, The Daily Express, The Journal of Humanistic Psychology, and others. He regularly appears in the media in the UK and has recently been featured on BBC Radio 5, BBC Radio Scotland, BBC World TV, and BBC World Service Radio. In fact, Eckhart Tolle has described his work as an important contribution to the shift in consciousness which is happening on our planet at present. Steve's book, The Calm Center, was published through Eckhart's own publishing imprint. And we are now today going to discuss his latest 
amazing book as well. So I can't wait to start. Uh, Steve, thank you so much for joining me today. It's an honor to have you. Yeah, well, yeah, you're welcome. It's great to be here. Wonderful. So like always, let's begin with some inspiration, with a dose of inspiration. So let me ask you, what is your favorite inspirational quote and how does that apply to your day-to-day life? Um, I'm going to read a, a short poem which I wrote, uh, which appears in my book, The Calm Center. And uh, this is about um, how when we are in a state of unhappiness and discord, we, we're usually focused on the future or focused on the past. The future is making us feel anxious or the past is making us feel bitter or, or guilty or giving us feelings of regret. So this is about how when we're in that discordant state of mind, we can always transcend the discord by returning our attention to the present moment. So this is, uh, this is something I always do myself. Whenever I find my mind's becoming a bit agitated, um, whenever I feel stressed, I always bring my, my attention right back into my present moment experience. So I bring my attention to the things around me. I really look, I really focus on my present experience. So this is called The Only Place. When the future is full of dread and the past is full of regret, Where can you take refuge except in the present? When maelstroms of tormenting thoughts push back the barricades of your sanity, the present is the calm centre where you can rest. And slowly, as you rest there, niggling thoughts and fears dissolve like shadows shrinking under the midday sun until you don't need a refuge anymore. The present is the only place where there is no thought-created pain. The present is the only place. Wonderful. Thanks for sharing that. Uh, really, really profound uh, poetry with us. Action Tribe, when we are in discord, we're usually worrying about the future or thinking about the past. And as we are learning today, it's important to come to the present because the present is your calm center because that's where you have all the power, the power to take action, the power to change things Mm -hmm. and the power to change your mindset and that's what we're going to dive deeper into today as well uh so steve uh to begin with what is spirituality according to you wow that's a good question um to me spirituality isn't so much about religion spirituality is about expansion it's about it's about sensing that there that it's possible to live in a a more expansive and a more intensified state and it's about using certain practices or certain paths certain methods or certain lifestyles to move towards that more expansive state and it's about connection it's about um, transcending a sense of separation uh, a sense of duality and becoming aware that in our essence we are part of something much greater than ourselves and we're part of this vast network of being which fills the whole universe so spiritual spirituality or spiritual awakening is largely about experiencing that connection and becoming aware of your union with the whole universe wonderful i love that definition action tribe it's all about expansion feeling that intensified state and feeling unified to the entire universe unified to the entire vast network of life and if you have had that awakened state then you would be able to relate but if you haven't then that's completely fine because you are on the right track but steve i want to go into your journey what took you on this quest to write your book what inspired you well um i i always feel when i write a book that it's not really a conscious act i feel that books grow inside me for a long time a bit like um a little bit like being pregnant um but yeah, so I think that I feel that books are inside me, and they can be inside me for ten years, fifteen years, even longer. And slowly they form inside me, and eventually I feel it's the right moment for them to take form. Mm. Um, so that was the case with this book. I, I remember being conscious that I I should write this book maybe ten years ago, but I sensed that it wasn't the right time. I needed to develop in a little bit more. I needed to gain a little bit more information in certain areas. Right. Um, but um, I feel as though in, in a way it was always inside me right from, you know, right from being a child almost. Wonderful. I love that thought. I really lo- I love that thought. The fact that you have these ideas or this vision for writing the book. Uh, and it's sort of in that gestation period, right? Where mm. it takes some time 
to manifest where you're getting these nudges and signs and then one fine day something says to you or you have that knowing that now's the right time and i'm sure that's when you sort of uh, took that action to finally unveil that book that so many people were looking for so so thanks for writing it uh, now your book is titled the psychology of spiritual awakening i'm curious what is the relationship between psychology and spirituality in this case mm. well in conventional psychology there's not really much room for for spirituality yeah. you're sort of like in a freudian psychology or behavioral psychology it's quite um scientific quite reductionist but there is there is yeah. one form of spirituality sorry one form of psychology called transpersonal psychology which investigates the the higher states of being which human beings can experience higher states of consciousness um, and transpersonal psychology investigates spirituality sorry investigates psychology from a spiritual point of view and also spirituality from a, a psychological point of view so it, it's really about um, i mean every human being has a spirit and we all have potential ranges of experience which are sometimes um closed off to us we we all we all know intuitively that you know we can be more we can experience more we all know that we can expand beyond our present state so you know if you investigate spirituality from a psychological point of view it means you know working out how we can go about expanding ourselves how how we can go about transcending our limitations and i think it's you know you can do that i think i mean i think a, a number of great spiritual teachers were essentially psychologists like the buddha i think was a, probably one of the the most astute psychologists in human history so if you, if you look into buddhist, buddhist teachings it's a very very uh, kind of fine-tuned very acute understanding of human functioning of the human psyche and if you have that understanding of the human psyche which the buddha had then you can also kind of uh, you can understand how to transcend the present human psyche how to go beyond our present state so i think psychology can enable you to do that awesome so thanks a lot for sharing this transpersonal psychology i didn't really know that this field exists uh, i was sort of categorizing psychology as a whole mm, but mm. as you've defined it so wonderfully it investigates psychology from a spiritual point of mm. view and like you've so wonderfully and eloquently put in order to really understand the whole spirituality or the whole umbrella of spirituality you need to start from the foundation and understand the human psyche just like the buddha did so learning a lot here now uh, uh, in one of your videos i've heard you mention that a spiritual awakening often happens to someone who is going through an intense psychological turmoil so what is that what do you mean by that well sometimes um, spiritual awakening is very gradual you know when, when when people follow follow spiritual paths or practices it can unfold over decades uh, or several years and and some people are just kind of naturally spiritually awakened you know when, when they become when they emerge from childhood into adulthood they retain the natural wakefulness of children and their you know, spiritual wakefulness or enlightenment is simply their their normal innate state of being but for many people spiritual awakening occurs very suddenly and very dramatically and and often that takes place in the context of intense psychological turmoil so it could be somebody who has been diagnosed with cancer and told that they only have a few months left to live it could be somebody who has a bereavement you know somebody who loses their their partner or their child or their close friend mm-hmm. or it could be um, somebody who is an addict Uh, it could be you know a whole range of different situations which give rise to intense turmoil and usually what happens is that when people feel that they've lost everything when they are threatened with with death or when you know a person who is a major part of their life passes away so they feel that like they've lost everything they feel that like they've hit a kind of rock bottom as alcoholics or drug addicts sometimes do the point where they they can't go any lower and they've simply their normal identity has been broken down completely and all of the psychological attachments which normally sustain us have been taken away and for many people that situation is simply a breakdown it's simply a a terrible state of um you know of psychosis or mental breakdown but for some people for maybe a minority of people when they reach that state of complete loss they find that a new self is born inside them 
So it's almost as if there's a, a latent, spiritually awakened self somewhere deep down inside them, which was waiting for the opportunity to emerge. And it was only now that their, their normal self was completely broken down by all of the turmoil and all, the, all of the loss they've been through, that this latent self has the opportunity to arise and emerge. So that latent higher self emerges, a bit like um, the way that a, a butterfly emerges from a chrysalis, and it becomes uh, their new identity, you know, it becomes their normal self. And, and they often feel like they're a completely new person. They feel that they are uh, a new person living in the same body. Because the shift is so, you know, so sudden and so extreme. So, Action Tribe, as we're learning today, there are different states, different types of awakenings. One is if you are in a natural state of awakening. Maybe as a child you had these gifts, you know, you had these uh, sights and your parents were very open in terms of discussing and you're exploring your imagination and creativity. Maybe you're in a natural state of awakening and that you don't have these different numerous thoughts in your mind that some people go through. Or maybe you've taken steps over the years to gradually unfold your uh, awakening and, and arrive at this point where you're here today. Or sometimes as we're discussing, it happens suddenly and dramatically. And Steve, I love the way that you shared. In fact, your poetry is being reflected in your words when you said that when they reach that state of loss, that sort of gives them room, right? It gives it room for that latent self, that new self to emerge, that self that was waiting all this while for the right time to emerge, just like a phoenix uh, after that sudden uh, reason for grief or that loss or that death that happens, maybe in the family. But that is actually an opportunity action drive for a new latent powerful state to emerge and maybe like you've suggested that old self might be very different right from from the new self yeah completely completely different yeah a lot, a lot of people as i said they feel like they're a new person in the same body and uh, one person told me that she went back to see her family um a, a few weeks after her shift and she didn't expect them to recognize her because she felt so different she was surprised that they called her by her name and they knew who she was mm. she felt so different wow so 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 we're talking about difference in motivations maybe difference in vision difference in feelings and behavior what are some of the common patterns that you've seen over the years well um a whole range of things uh, one of the one of the major ones is a, a shift to a different lifestyle um so people the the most uh, prevalent kind of shift in terms of lifestyle is um a shift away from a kind of materialistic self-seeking lifestyle a shift away from that towards a, a more altruistic lifestyle so, so people who were like professional, uh, successful professional people doing well in their careers and who are motivated by money and success, though that fades away, people often have to give up their jobs and um, take up a new profession. And usually they, they get involved with therapy, maybe charity, maybe teaching, but they want to do something more altruistic. They want to make a, a big contribution to people. So somebody, somebody explained it in terms of um, it's no longer about taking, it's about giving. It's about life is no longer about what you can get from the world. It's about what you can give to the world. So that's, uh, that's a major shift. But also um, a lot of people explained it in terms of appreciation, that they, they suddenly have this amazing sense of gratitude for all of the small things in life that, that normally maybe we don't pay attention to. And uh, they have this new sense of gratitude for the people in their lives um, for all of the you know the everyday things like eating, walking, looking at the sky, uh, they were they felt this amazing sense of um, appreciation of just being alive, just life in itself, and um, mm -hmm. and they no longer took anything for granted. And I think as human beings, one of our biggest issues is that we tend to take things for granted. We take our health for granted. We take the people around us for granted. We take life itself for granted. But um, but when you undergo this shift then, you know, everything becomes precious, everything becomes valuable, and you no, you, you no longer take anything for granted. You know, as I was reading your words and, you know, some of the blog posts and videos that you've done, this phrase came to my mind, and this was a poem by William Wordsworth, but uh, what is this life if full of care? We have no time to stand and stare. And it seems like William Wordsworth was highly spiritual awakening yeah would you agree oh definitely yeah <laughs> in fact i um i talk about him briefly in in the leap because uh one of the things i say in the book is that when people are naturally awakened then they often don't become spiritual teachers or authors they, mm. they often become poets or, or artists or painters so they live in a state of inspiration that they're, they're so 
um, struck by wonder and awe about the world around them, that they often turn to art as a means of expressing their, their, their sense of wonder. And William Wordsworth was a great example of a, an awakened person who was also a poet. And uh, there are so many lines in his poetry which could be from spiritual texts, um, yeah. Particularly, I, I, I like one of my spiritual, one of my favourite spiritual texts is the Upanishads, the the Indian Upanishads. And there are some lines in William Wordsworth, William Wordsworth which are very similar to the Upanishads. Really? Yeah, yeah. That's beautiful. That's beautiful. And the other thing that comes to my mind is no time to stand beneath the boughs and stare as long as sheep or cows. So implied <laughs> in these words is the respect and the wonder for animals. So mm. he's actually taking the time to get into the consciousness of that particular animal who, who's just waiting there and he's comparing himself. Uh, so it, it seems like, you know, that connection to the intricate network of, of life, he, he, it seems like he's experienced that already. So it's so beautiful to revisit a simple poetry like that through the eyes of spirituality. So mm. thanks for providing me that perspective. Now, there are many different spiritual traditions around the world, uh, whether you're talking about Hinduism and Buddhism or maybe Taoism more in the East. You have the Essenes and Nazarenes in the Middle East, mm-hmm. the more mystic traditions, all the Toltec traditions and shamans in Mexico. What is the common thread that sort of binds all these spiritual traditions across the world? Well, the, the essential um, element which they share is an awareness that there is a an all-pervading spiritual force um, which um, flows through all things. Well, this is this sounds like William Wordsworth actually flows through all things and fills the spaces between all things. Now, every spiritual tradition has a a term for an all-pervading spiritual energy. Um, sometimes it's called Brahman in India in the Indian tradition. Um, it could be called the Tao in the Taoist tradition, and often in monotheistic traditions like um, Christianity or Judaism, the term God is used for for this all-pervading spiritual force. So, God, if if you're a mystic, if you're a Christian mystic or a Jewish mystic, you you don't really see God as a a personal being who overlooks the world and who you know makes sure human beings behave properly and so on and can intervene if things go badly. God is a kind of incredibly powerful spiritual energy which fills all things and also which fills our own being so that essentially we are one with God. And I guess that's the other main rec- recognition of um, spiritual traditions all around the world. There is the recognition that essentially we are one with the universe and we are one with all things because the, the all-pervading spiritual energy which fills the universe also fills our own being. So it's the same energy, and if we enter um, higher states of consciousness or deep states of meditation, then we gain contact with the essence inside ourselves, with the all-pervading energy as it manifests in us. And we become aware of that connection. The the boundaries of our being seem to fade away, and we have this very sort of fluid sense of connection to the whole universe. And so in a sense, the Christian mystics or the Jewish mystics or the Sufi mystics, they're right in saying that, that we are God because, you know, the essence of God is also the essence of our being. And for that profound reflection, some people were put to death as well. Yeah, that's a, like, how dare you are God. Yeah, right? I mean, there were many uh, Christian mystics, Sufi mystics who, you know, they said they said things like uh, my Meister Eckhart, the Christian mystic, he said, the eye through which I see God is the same eye through which God sees me. Wow, that's amazing. Yeah, but obviously the, the Pope didn't understand that. So <laughs> back in the back in the 14th century, the Pope didn't understand it. So, uh, so he summoned Meister Eckhart. Meister Eckhart was excommunicated from the church, and he was he was he was due to stand trial, but. Um, Maybe fortunately he died before he could stand trial. So, mm-hmm, mm-hmm. so Steve, my my question is: Do you believe in life after death? Do you believe in reincarnation? I certainly believe that um, this existence in our physical form is not the end. Is not the the be and end all of existence. I certainly believe that our consciousness is not produced by the brain, and so that when we die. When the brain dies or when the body dies, our consciousness will not die. I think our consciousness will continue in some form. Um, so I'm, I'm pretty certain that there is some form of continuation of consciousness, which you could call life after death. But um, I think it's very difficult for us to to kind of envisage what this, you know, what form this will take. You know, I feel very strongly, very, you know, I have a very strong intuitive feeling that there is some form of life after death. But um, 
I don't think we can really comprehend what it may be. It's so different to to you know consciousness or life as we understand it in this form that it's very difficult for us. Maybe we can gain a sense of it, but it's so different that we yes. can't really comprehend it. Absolutely, absolutely. And I uh, I read somewhere that the Taoist used to refer to these mysteries in the universe. Uh, and 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 instead of sort of investigating the root cause of these mysteries, uh, they sort of had this realization that no matter how much we learn, there'll be always something that we don't know in the universe. Mm. And I think they refer to this as falling in love with the question. Oh, right. That's great. And, mm. <laughs> there you go, Action Tribe. You are a physical being that has decided to manifest from the non-physical being. And as soon as this life is over, you will reunite with the Tao or Brahman, or God, or infinite intelligence, whatever you refer to it as, but like we're learning, you will unite with the rest of the living network. So Steve, our listeners are on a journey, a spiritual journey. They've either found that path, they found their awakening, or are way close to finding their purpose and their truth. And my goal is to make that journey a bit easier for them. So uh, could you tell me on your journey, have you come across any myths or misconceptions that are associated with spiritual awakenings? Hmm. Yeah. Uh, well, one of them is that um, spiritual awakening or enlightenment is unusual or uncommon. So, so many people think that uh, enlightenment just happens to uh, Indian gurus or Tibetan monks who spend years in monasteries or people who spend decades meditating, uh, decades following spiritual paths and practices. And many people don't think that, um, you know, they think that enlightenment is, you'd have to travel the world to find an enlightened person. You have to go to India or go to China or Tibet. But, um, but I think that's what I found. I mean, as a psychologist, I've spent 10 years researching spiritual awakening and researching cases of awakening. And I found that it's much more common than most people believe. Um, especially, you know, we talked earlier about how awakening can occur very suddenly in the in the midst of psychological turmoil, and that form of awakening is quite common. You know, I've, I've studied many, many, many cases of it, and the more cases I study, the more I find, the more people make contact with me to say that they've had this shift. And the thing about it is that a lot of people who undergo this shift don't have a background in spirituality. They've never meditated. They've never followed the teachings of the Buddha or any other spiritual teaching. So they don't really understand what's happened to them. They wouldn't say that they've had a spiritual awakening because they don't know what spiritual awakening is. So it sometimes takes them several years to, well, maybe several months or several years to to investigate, to stumble upon spiritual teachings. And, and they, then they find, oh, wow, yeah, this is what's happened to me. I understand this. <laughs> and then they have a sort of framework to make sense of what, what's happened to them. But it is, uh, it's by no means um, uncommon. Maybe, maybe I'll mention another myth which I found. And that's the, uh, the myth that spiritually awakened people are detached and indifferent to the world. So, right. so many people think that um, you know, if you become enlightened, then you live at the top of a mountain, you go to the desert, you live in a hermitage or in the forest, and you stay, right. you stay away from the ordinary world. And you don't care. You, know, you don't care if uh, Donald Trump becomes president of America. You, <laughs> you don't care about uh, political problems or social problems. You don't care if there are if there are earthquakes or famines because you're in this sort of higher enlightened realm where these things are illusory. Right. But that's uh, that's a myth. Um, it, I mean, I'm sure it, I'm sure it applies to some people, but generally, when people become awakened, they develop a, a strong sense of empathy, a strong sense of compassion, and a strong desire to alleviate other people's suffering. So a lot of spiritually awakened people become kind of social activists, uh, idealists, uh, even political activists. But again, they, they wouldn't often describe themselves as, as uh, spiritually awakened people. They wouldn't describe themselves as spiritual teachers. So, I mean, one, one, of the, I, one example I talk about in the book is, you, you've heard of Florence Nightingale? Yeah, yes, famous uh, uh, British lady. Yeah, yeah. She was a nurse, right? I mean, she she, she helped the soldiers. Yeah, and... she uh, well, she she basically founded the profession, the modern profession of nursing. It didn't exist. She mm. founded it. She kind of established the role of a nurse and uh, kind of um, uh, established principles by which nursing should work. And she also founded a lot of hospitals. She trained thousands of nurses, and she was a social reformer. She she reformed uh, sanitation and and health. She made many health policies. But a lot of people don't know that she was actually a, a very spiritually awakened person. She was a, a kind of mystic. You know, she later in her life she wrote several books on on mysticism, and 
she, she was a great example of a, a spiritually awakened person who has a, a really powerful desire to alleviate suffering, to a really strong impulse to help the human race, um, a kind of sense of mission. And, and right. a, lot, a lot of um, spiritually awakened people have that. So, so, so your definition sort of is very similar to the concept of bodhisattva, where bodhisattvas are people who don't leave the community. They take active steps to awaken the spirituality within themselves. And once they, once they see the light, they don't go to a mountain to meditate further or they don't leave their community. They develop, like you mentioned, a strong sense of empathy and realize that there's a lot of work to be done in the place where they are. And instead of leaving the material world, instead of leaving the people around them in troubles and challenges and stress and worry, they work to change the world around them. Mm. They, they sort of sacrifice and help people get onto that metaphorical raft from the white waters around them and, and work to change the world. So it's very similar to, to the concept of bodhisattva. So thanks for sharing. <laughs> now, now, on the same topic of keeping people safe on their journeys, on your journey, uh, did you notice any insights or any tips on how our listeners can tell the difference between a fraudulent spiritual teacher and a genuinely awakened one. Because with the increasing popularity of the spiritual movement and with the advent of the internet, there are some shady folks coming up who don't have the right intentions, right? <laughs> That's true. That's true. Hmm. Well, one of the things I would say is that um, genuinely spiritually awakened people have no interest in material things. They have no interest in money and they have no interest in power. And they have no desire to set themselves apart from other people. Uh, they, t they tend to be quite humble and they don't really proclaim themselves as enlightened. They don't sort of set up websites saying, I am the avatar, please follow me mm -hmm. and I will take you to enlightenment. They, they tend to be quite uh, self-effacing. And so I would say that if you, if you know a teacher who is very sort of self-aggrandizing, who proclaims himself or herself as the messiah, as an avatar, then it's most likely that they are not really spiritually awakened. And if they make um, a, lot, a big effort to attract followers, and if they set themselves apart from their followers, if they don't have contact with ordinary people, if there's some, any kind of hierarchical organization, uh, then it suggests that they are not really awakened. So there you go, Action Drive, keep your eyes and ears open. You're on the right path, but it just makes sense to be safe. So, Steve, what about children? I've heard stories of children being able to see auras. They always tell the truth, as we know. They don't have filters, at least till a certain age. They're able to easily meditate if taught. So, are children naturally awake? Yeah, definitely. Yeah. Um, I think, you know, young children especially have many of the qualities of spiritual wakefulness. Um, and usually... By the time we reach maybe 10, 11, or teenage years, these qualities slowly fade away. And so, I mean, what one of the qualities of, of um, awakening is presence. You know, if you are if you're awakened, then you live very powerfully in the present moment. So you don't you don't tend to spend time thinking about the future or the past. You don't spend time daydreaming about alternate realities. Your attention is very strongly focused on your present moment experience. And that's true of children. Your know, children are very present-centered. You know, the, the future is meaningless to children. The past is meaningless. So they give their whole attention to whatever they're doing and wherever they are. And, and also, um, young children have an amazing sense of wonder. They have an amazing, vivid perception of the world around them. So they, they often spend time staring at uh, tiny things, seemingly ordinary or seemingly mundane things. These things are, you know, they're... They're incredibly interesting and fascinating to them. And, and unfortunately, that's something that we, we generally lose as adults. But it's something that we regain when we become spiritually awakened. So it's almost like there's a, you know, it's a, a full spiritual awakening is in some ways a full circle. It's, uh, we move through the yeah. kind of egoic phase of adulthood, the phase of separateness, and the phase in which the world becomes familiar and mundane. We move through that towards a recapturing of the wonder and the presence of the childhood state. Um, but I mean, uh, at the same time, I think you can take that parallel too far. I mean, there are some ways in which children are enlightened, but there are some ways in which children can be, I mean, I know this myself, I've got three young children. And <laughs> I, sometimes, I sometimes say that children are, young children are a, a combination of enlightened beings and narcissistic monsters. 
because, <laughs> because children can you know the children have strong desires they have strong impulses and they get they sometimes get upset or angry when their when their impulses are are kind of uh, frustrated but i think primarily you know children do have these really really strong qualities of of natural wakefulness now for a moment let's move away from the personal awakening to a collective awakening the awakening of communities cities countries and the human race as a whole so do you see any signs of that happening as on today i do i mean if you look around the world things can seem a little bit bleak especially at the moment but um i think there are some very strong signs that the the human race is undergoing a collective awakening and I think maybe you could say that there are four signs of this. And the first one is that I think that more and more people are being born in a state of natural wakefulness. So as I said children are naturally all children are naturally awake, but most people lose that wakefulness as they become adults. But I think more and more people are retaining that state as they become adults and they're continuing to live their whole lives in a, a naturally awakened state. And the second uh, sign I would say is that more and more people are having temporary awakening experiences. So these are just sort of even if it's just for a few seconds, a few minutes or a few hours, many people have a temporary glimpse of wakefulness. Their their state of consciousness changes. They have this experience of meaning and beauty and connection and unity, uh, a temporary awakening experience. So those are becoming more common. And I think it's also becoming more common for people to undergo a sudden shift into awakening as we described earlier which is usually in relation to psychological turmoil. And finally, I think more and more people are uh, experiencing an impulse to wake up. So even if people are asleep, even if they're living in a a normal limited state of consciousness, they feel an impulse to expand their awareness, an impulse to escape and transcend their limitations. And that usually leads to an interest in spiritual traditions and an impulse to begin with spiritual practices. But I think that that impulse is building up all over the world and and so many more people are buying books about spirituality or learning to meditate and um downloading audio meditations. So all over the world that impulse is building is building up. So all of these things they they suggest that there is this kind of latent wakefulness within the collective consciousness or the collective unconscious of the human race and this latent wakefulness seems to be building up momentum you know and it's manifesting itself in different ways so for someone listening to the show right now who wants to take some action towards an awakening what is that one action step that you'd like to recommend for our listeners i would say um quietness in the in the modern world the modern world is such a busy place and there are all kinds of devices which enable us to take our attention away from the present moment you know iPods and mobile phones and computers and everything else it's so easy for us to to live in a state of distraction it's so easy for us to escape the present moment yes. so it's it's really important to to make sure that there are periods of quietness in your life so that, that a period where you you do nothing where you're inactive and also where all devices are switched off you know when your mobile phone is switched off your computer's unplugged and the tv is turned off the radio is turned off and it's really important to sort of dive into quietness and to embrace quietness and um, and when we do that we find that our own deeper being responds to the quietness maybe it may, it may feel uneasy to begin with because often we're we're not used to quietness but once the initial unease fades away then we begin to uh, have a sense of harmony our own being seems to uh, resonate or harmonize with the quietness and a sense of ease begins to to fill us so i would say make sure that at least once a day you have a period of quietness when everything is turned off when you ha- you are completely inactive and you can just be in the present moment and just purely experience yourself and purely experience your surroundings in, in quietness so action tribe for the show notes for this episode you have to visit my7chakras.com forward slash 203 that's my7chakras.com forward slash 203 great things are not done by impulse but by a series of small things brought together and great things are not accidental but must certainly be willed this is an amazing quote by winston van gogh another awakened person action tribe intention is the key 
Think about it. What is that dominant thought in your mind right now? What is that one goal or that one dream or that one vision that you want to somehow achieve? Is there a certain type of career or venture that you want to pursue? For a moment, forget about whether it's possible or not. Tell your mind to give you a break for a few moments and really think about that vision that you have in your mind right now. No matter how big it is or how impossible it seems at the moment, realize that the very first step towards creating it is actually holding that thought in your intentions, which you're already doing right now. And then the next step is taking small steps consistently towards your goals. You'll face many challenges along the way, but let the vision draw you closer and closer each day until you finally manifest it, until that gestation period gets over and you finally decide to do it. So Steve, we've arrived at the challenge round where our listeners have an opportunity to learn from your struggles and your challenges. So talk to us about a time in your life when you had to go through a major life challenge. How did you get mm-hmm. into it? And then what steps did you take to sort of... Okay. Well, um, about 10 years ago, it was in 2006, I became seriously ill. I began with a, I had a, a tonsillitis and I had a, an abscess called a Quincy my face and on my my neck but I went to hospital for treatment and then when I was in hospital I, I caught a bacterial infection one of those super bugs I think they call, they call them in hospital uh, so I became very very ill and the bug just spread through the whole of my body and I didn't respond to antibiotics so I became very weak I was in a wheelchair uh, I couldn't eat or drink and initially I was very uh, distressed and very upset as you can imagine and it was also Christmas time so I was upset that I wasn't with my kids at home I wasn't with my wife and I was missing my family. But after a couple of weeks, even though I felt so physically so terrible, I underwent, I underwent a kind of shift while I was ill. Um, I kind of I accepted the situation. I, I thought, well, you know, I'm ill. Maybe I'm going to die. Um, maybe I'm not going to die, but I accept it. You know, I, I have trust in my situation. I have trust in the universe. And I have trust in the doctors who are looking after me. So I switched from an attitude of resistance to an attitude of acceptance and trust. And suddenly... All of the um, the feelings of depression and discord faded away, and I was filled with a sense of ease and this sense of openness. And I felt absolutely absolutely fantastic, even though I was very ill. I felt this amazing amazing sense of lightness and, and freedom inside myself. I felt incredibly happy. And after a week or so, I started to recover. You know, um, and I had an operation which helped me to recover. And afterwards, uh, I was in hospital for maybe another two or three weeks, and. I was still very weak for, for months afterwards, but I was filled this sense of ease and this sense of acceptance, which I developed in hospital, that stayed with me. And also uh, a sense of appreciation stayed with me. After, uh, after being ill and being, you know, fairly close to death, I felt incredibly appreciative of life. You know, I vowed that I would never take life for granted again. And I vowed that I would put my life to good use after that. And I vowed vow that I would never complain about anything and never get um, obsessed about trivial things. And so I think, you know, overcoming that challenge of being ill and overcoming resistance with trust and acceptance and developing that sense of appreciation that's uh, remained with me ever since. Well, that's an amazing story that you shared with us. Uh, Really quickly, in just one sentence, what is that one life lesson that you'd like to share with our listeners today? My life lesson is that human life is always filled with some degree of suffering now and then from time to time we're always going to face difficulties and challenges but i think the lesson we should learn is that every challenge and every difficulty has a positive um, undercurrent to it you know on the other side of difficulty there is an opportunity for growth for deepening and for transformation so in a sense, even though we should never consciously cultivate difficulties, we should always welcome them in a sense because they, they offer potential wow. for change. So in fact, Steve, many of our listeners, in fact, all of us are going through some sort of health challenge or the other. And sometimes, depending on how extreme that challenge is, we might experience a moment of hopelessness or a moment that seems very bleak, where chances are very low for us to get better. And I think your story really empowers and inspires those who are going through such a situation. You said that about 10 years ago, you became seriously ill, you had tonsillitis. And to top things up, you while you were in hospital, you caught a bacterial infection, which sort of spread all over your body. As a result, you became even more weaker. You couldn't really 
replenish yourself properly and as a result of being there you, you didn't get to spend quality time with your family and and when all things seemed very dark and you, and you were going through this la- lack of hope i, I guess I, i i could put it that way you went through a phase when you underwent a shift a shift of hopelessness to acceptance to a moment of trust and everything will be all right you know and things will take care of themselves as a result you felt that sense of openness that connectedness like you like we've discussed about in today's show and that mindset really helped you because not only it did it help you overcome that situation you know you were in the hospital but then your your mindset shifted but also you vowed to put your life to good use and to serve and so thanks a lot for sharing that story with us because i'm sure right now many of our listeners are feeling that sense of inspiration and that sense of hope so thanks for sharing you're welcome so action drive i hope you enjoyed today's session and i hope that the stories shared resonated with you and like i often say i may not have met you personally but somehow i feel i know you it's like we speak each and every day through the microphone and i know that many of you are trying to find your life's purpose maybe finding that state of awakening now i can't tell you exactly what that would feel like but i can share what helped me on my journey the first thing i did paid more attention to my inner feelings what activities made me happy what made me elated and excited in fact i still remember when i started off i started journaling my thoughts if you haven't done that already i highly encourage you to start when you start journaling it's a powerful way to connect with your subconscious mind the other thing i did was change my focus from me and my journey to how i can serve the world and the people around me as we're learning today serving is the ultimate way to getting that state you see action tribe when the focus is you you feel a level of pressure to perform a level of anxiety about what's going to happen you might also get stressed a bit especially if you're doing public speaking but when you separate your ego and make the journey about how you can be of service to the world when you realize that people around the world are waiting for your unique contributions that mindset is powerful because the truth is like delatoro mcneil once said you have a gift inside of you that only you possess it was meant to benefit the world in some way so steve as on today uh, what is your life's calling my life's calling um my life's calling is to um contribute to an awakening of consciousness throughout the whole human race and 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 this is a term that i love to talk about during each and every episode which is the defining moment was there ever a defining moment that you went through maybe a phrase that you read in a book or an interaction that you had that really changed your life? Mm, mm. Well, uh, there was one book which I read when I was 22, no, 20 years old. And at that time, I was in a state of confusion and turmoil. I was very depressed. I sometimes thought, thought about committing suicide because I was so depressed and I had so little understanding of my true self. And it was mainly because I, I didn't know who I was. I'd never had a Uh, the opportunity to understand myself properly. So I, I saw myself as a kind of naturally awakened person in retrospect, but I, I knew nothing about spirituality or spiritual teachings. When I was 20 years old, I found a book, I stumbled upon a book called Mysticism by a guy called F.C. Happold. And it was a simple kind of anthology of quotes from mystics and from spiritual texts and a, a little uh, passages of, um, of kind of elucidation which would help us to understand the text. But when I read this book, it was the first book I'd ever read about spirituality, I suddenly thought, wow, this is me. I understand myself. I can see myself. It was like, um, you know, suddenly I realized that um, there wasn't something wrong with me. You know, I was um, a kind of spiritually, I was a spiritual person and I could understand my innate spirituality. So suddenly I could make sense of myself and suddenly my confusion evaporated. It was a bit like um, if you're in a landscape where it's completely filled with fog, You have no idea which direction you're going in. You feel completely lost. But suddenly the fog cleared and suddenly I knew who I was and, and where I was going. Well, thanks a lot for sharing that wonderful moment with us. And with that, we have arrived at the very last round for today, the Wisdom Round. Which comprises of four questions that need four brief but action-packed answers so my first question is what is the best advice that someone's ever given you wow the best advice which i received was um it was from a buddhist meditation teacher when i first started to meditate it was shortly after i read the book i mentioned before and i began to meditate and investigate spiritual traditions and a buddhist meditation teacher asked me how my meditation was 
And I said, oh, it's terrible because my mind gets really busy. I have so many thoughts mm -hmm. going in my mind. And the teacher said, well, what's wrong with that? Just accept your thoughts. Don't think of your thoughts as enemy enemies. Accept your thoughts and don't push them away. Just observe them. And that simple um, advice to accept rather than try to push away thoughts was very, uh, very powerful for me. Name a personal habit that keeps you strong. Contact with nature. Um, as often as possible, I like to walk in the local park or the countryside. And contact with nature fills me with a sense of serenity and inner peace. So what is your morning routine like? What do you do during the first two hours of your day? My first two hours are very busy because of my young kids. <laughs> <laughs> But um, I begin the day by drinking three glasses of water. And that sort of... Um, Gives me a bit of a boost mm -hmm. first thing in the morning. Then I have a bowl of cereal with some fruit. And then if I don't have to rush to my university, I work at a university two days a week. But if I have time, I do yoga for 10 minutes, a few six, seven asanas. Then I sit down to meditate for maybe half an hour to 45 minutes. And after that, I that's when I go for my walk in the local park or the countryside. And then I'm ready to return home and begin some writing. So name a book that you'd like to recommend for Action Tribe today. I'd like to recommend the Tao Te Ching, which is the, the famous Taoist spiritual text, which is a wonderfully poetic and esoteric um, book full of wisdom and profound philosophical and spiritual teachings. So Action Tribe, I know how much you love our book recommendations, and I know that many of you purchase these books as soon as you hear them shared on our show. And that's why Audible.com is offering Action Tribe one free audiobook download with a free 30-day trial so that you can get to check out their amazing service. Now, Audible has over 180,000 titles to choose from for your iPhone, Android, or Kindle, including bestsellers like The Chakra System by Anadia Judith, Autobiography of a Yogi by Paramahansa Yogananda, and A New Earth by Eckhart Tolle. To download your free audiobook today, go to audibletrial.com forward slash MSC. Once again, that's audibletrial.com forward slash MSC, and you can claim your free audiobook right away. So, Steve, thank you so much for joining us today. Thanks a lot for sharing your journey and sharing your wisdom. It was such an amazing experience. Yeah, thanks very much. It was great to be on the show. I really enjoyed it. Thanks. Wonderful. So before you go, tell us something that you're grateful for and tell us how we can find you online. Um, I'm grateful for, for life itself because, uh, you know, like most human beings, there have been, been several occasions in my life when I came close to death. So I'm just grateful to to wake up in the mornings and to see the beauty of the world and to experience the, the energy of my being within my body. And, um, yeah, people can find me through my website, which is www.stephenmtaylor.com. So that's Stephen with a V, M for Mark, stephenmtaylor.com. Steve, thank you so much for coming on our show, talking to us about the psychology of spiritual awakening and taking us one step closer to a human revolution. You're welcome. Thanks a lot. You are listening to My 7 Chakras. Go to mysevenchakras.com. Download your free gift, get inspired and take action. Transform your life today. mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply.